Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello and welcome once again, and thank you for joining me on this Monday morning, or Monday afternoon, actually, Monday afternoon, Monday morning. Boy, I'll tell you. Uh, It's been a work day. It's been a good one. And uh, the temperature is about the mid-70s here in uh, western Kentucky. It feels good. And uh, we had a pretty good day. Uh, Oh, boy. Excuse me, I'm, I'm just kind of rushing here. I, my uh, computer, the one that I normally use, has been been just doing crazy things. So I got my little laptop computer here, and um, I was just trying to get it situated. I'm situated now, so that's a good thing. So with a deep breath, uh, we'll get started here. Ah, thank you. Heavenly Father, I just do thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for all that you just continue to do. I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that I have used to share these words of uh, inspiration, I hope, for others. And Heavenly Father, I just pray that you just continue to be with me and other believers, and Lord, that you just strengthen us uh, and, and enlighten us, dear Heavenly Father. You know, because each one of us is made for a purpose. Direct us, dear Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes. Open our ears to hear. And let us walk and talk the way you would have us go. And I just thank you in your Lord's Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so this is the last of uh, this 30-day series that I've been going through. The guideposts know the words of Jesus in 30 days done by J. Stephen Lang. And we're finishing up with You Must Be Ready. And I believe I ended with um, These things are birth pains that must happen before a new world can come. And persecution of uh, the Christians by Christians, uh, that was the culture insight. And uh, then dancing on the volcano. Uh, Forgive me, I'm just trying to figure out where I left off, folks. (laughs) Uh, It's kind of sad when you can't even remember um, where we left off at. But I think I found the place. I hope I do it anyway. So, with that, uh, let us let us begin. When Jesus returns to Earth, it will be urgent and a true state of emergency. So urgent that a person lounging on the roof of his house should not even go inside the house to pack anything. Even pausing to look back on the scene of destruction is a bad thing. Remember Lot's wife? She was one who had been warned to flee from the destruction of Sodom. 
and was even out of the city, yet she turned to look back on it. Her salvation was an almost. Weighing down the heart. Be careful, or your heart will be weighed down with the disposition, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. And that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. And that's Luke chapter 21, verse 34, 36. People of faith are to live a life of eternity, always mindful of the sudden return of the judge to earth. When they lose sight of this, they become like the rest of the world. The human heart can be weighed down both by worldly pleasures and by anxieties, thus losing the sensitivity to the important things, the spiritual realities. The word translated disposition is K-R-A-I-P-E-L-E, literally a hangover. Even those who avoid the drunkenness and disposition can still be chronic warriors fretting over the minor matters of this life when the next life is of greater importance. The sudden return of Jesus will affect not just the people of Palestine, but also the entire world. All will stand before the Son of Man, the judge. As always, Luke emphasizes the importance of prayer in this case, praying for strength to endure what lies ahead and being prepared to meet the Son. The authors of the New Testament letters follow Jesus in emphasizing how unexpected the second coming would be. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. So then let us not be like others, who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. And that's First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3 through 4 and 6. The reward of the tough sold. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And that's Revelations chapter 2, verse 7. Is it surprising to quote words of Jesus from the book of Revelation? It shouldn't be. For the entire book consists of series of messages and visions from men, Jesus, to the apostle. From the risen Jesus to the apostle John, who as punishment for proclaiming the faith, he had exiled to a rocky island of Patmos in the Mediterranean Sea. He was sent there as part of a persecution of Christians by the Roman Emperor Domitian, one of the worst persecutions among our persecutors among the emperors, the emperors. Most people regarded Revelation as a puzzling book full of peculiar and disturbing visions of angels, demons, plagues, dragon, and the beast. All these elements are present, but Revelation first three chapters are prelude to the visions 
In these three chapters, Jesus in heaven speaks to seven Christian fellowships in different cities of Asia. Not Asia, the continent, but a Roman province that roughly corresponds to the present nation of Turkey. By the time Revelation was written, some of these Christian fellowships had begun to grow lax in their faith. In the messages to each of the seven churches, Jesus ends with a promise to those who overcome, that is, that endure the testing of their faith. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7 has Jesus speaking to the believers in Ephesus, a large cosmopolitan city where the faith had been built up by Paul and John. Jesus commends the believers there for their patient endurance and their ability to discern false teachers. But though they were firm in their faith, they had lost the first love they had when they first received the good news. They need it to be revitalized, their faith. If they do so, good things are in score. In store. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Jesus' words called to mind the original paradise, Eden, and its tree of life. Because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve, mankind was barred from the original paradise. But there is a future paradise, One described splendidly at the end of Revelation, which speaks of the tree of life in the midst of the heavenly city. Those who faithfully endure the testing of persecution will enter the city and eat from the tree of life. And that's Revelation chapter 22, 2 and 14. In Revelation, the overcomers are not the evil powers of the world, which ultimately be destroyed, Rather, the overcomers are those who speak and live the truth and are persecuted for it. Many suffer and die, as Jesus did, but they will live eternally, while those who persecuted them do not. Though evil seems to triumph temporarily, all that the evil powers accomplish is sending the saints home to God. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Revelation 14, verse 13. The Alpha and the Omega. Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And that's Revelation chapter 22, verse 12 and 13. Appropriately, the last book of the Bible ends with a prophecy of an event that is hoped for throughout the New Testament, the return of Jesus to earth. We see in Acts, the New Testament letters, that the first Christians expected it to happen at any time. In fact, some were even failing to work at their jobs. So Paul had to remind them to get on with their lives, always being spiritually ready for Jesus' return to earth when they least expected it. And if he appeared to be delaying, it was to give more people a chance to come to faith. Here in the 21st century, we may well wonder how seriously to take the word soon 
in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, and in other places in the New Testament. Did the first Christians have any idea that two millenniums would pass without Jesus coming again? Would they blame people for giving up after such a long time? We can't know for certain, but we do know that their main message, be prepared at all times to meet God and to give account for your life, is still valid. As the first Christians learned from Jesus himself and from the apostles, the time of return is not the important thing, nor should we obsess over it. What matters is fellowship with God, which can begin now and will endure internally. We might say that sin is not chronological, but personal. Whatever time Christ might return to earth, each of us will, at the end of life, have to face judgment. The Omega, the last, the end. In the beginning there was God, and at the end there is God. My reward is with me leads naturally to find passage in our book, one of the greatest prophecies and parables of the Bible. You did it for me. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you, come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, a stranger, invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you? hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you. And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did, not do, for one of the least of these you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And that's Matthew chapter 25, verse 31 through 46. Jesus stated elsewhere that the two greatest commandments were to love God with all one's heart and to love one neighbor as himself. Often overlooked is that those two commandments meet in Jesus Christ, the theme of this parable of the Last Judgment. 
what we do for our fellow men or leave undone is not just for aiding or neglecting our neighbor, but aiding or neglecting Christ. One must love one's fellow men, not just in word, but more importantly in deed. For those rare, selfish individuals who practiced it unselfishly, Jesus has the highest praise. The goats neglect their fellow man, but the sheep neglect themselves, practicing the unnoticed charity that Jesus commands elsewhere. The God, the good that the sheep did with no fanfare is known to God. The goats claim they would gladly have aided the king had they known it was him in distress, such as the world. A rich celebrity going through a crisis would receive all sorts of presents and from total strangers far away. The message of the parable is that unimportant people are all important. The theme of the parable should be expressed as love me, love my child. If we really loved God, we would love his son. If we really loved the son, we would love the least of these, his brothers. If anyone, even a cup of cold water to one of the little ones, because he is my disciple, I will tell you the truth. He will certainly not lose his reward. And that's Matthew chapter 10, verse 42. In Acts and the Epistles, we see that the first Christians believed that harming believers was the same as harming Jesus himself. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. And that's Acts chapter 9, verse 5. When you sin against your brothers in this way, and when they're weak conscience, you sin against Christ. And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12. Here's a did-you-know moment. Founding father Benjamin Franklin was often critical of the Bible and Christianity, but regarding his belief in the afterlife, he cited this parable of the Last Judgment and said, The scriptures assure me that at the last day we shall be examined, not on what we thought, but on what we did. Franklin had no use for doctrines or rituals, but he believed the compassion idea that Jesus taught was worth preserving. And here's another, did you know? The parable of the sheep and the goats is one of the readings used by the Roman Catholic Church for the Holy Day of Christ, the King celebrated each year on the last Sunday before Advent, the Eastern Orthodox churches read the parable each year on the day called Judgment Sunday. Interestingly, entrance, entrance, ah, forgive me, I'm, my voice is bleh. Interestingly, the parable has some connections to a pagan thought. In Greek myth, the gods often assumed human form sometimes as vagabonds and beggars. The lowest member of society could, for all the people knew, be gods in disguise, and scorning them could lead to serious consequences. Perhaps one evidence of the image of God 
in man is that even in religions, they do not teach a high moral standard. There are glimmers of the truth that shine through. For even the pagan Greeks understood dimly that helping a homely old woman cross a stream might be unwittingly a service rendered to one of the gods. The parable certainly could not have pleased all of Jesus' Jewish listeners. The king in the parable is judging all the nations, and contrary to what Jewish listeners would have expected, no favoritism is shown to the Jews. In terms of heavenly rewards, there is a level playing field. There is not even a hint in the parable that the sheep are Jews while the goats are Gentiles, which is what most Jews would have expected. The Jews also would have been shocked that the sheep are being rewarded for their acts of compassion, not for tithing, fasting, observing the Sabbath, washing their hands frequently, or avoiding contact with Gentiles. There is no mention of obeying the law of Moses or the traditions of the elders. Those who enter the kingdom of God are the people who show love and compassion actively, not those who obsess over religious rituals. Jesus spoke the parable shortly before his arrest and crucifixion. So appropriately, the parable is a story of how people respond to someone in dire straits, even in prison. This is one of the key themes of the gospel. Glory is where you did not expect to find it, and the Messiah is not at all like who you had imagined. People who constantly turn their backs on the world's losers will inevitably turn their back on the Messiah who suffered and died like the lowest criminal. As in the parable, a grand surprise is in store. The despised felon on the cross is the judge of all mankind. Many of the great heroes of the Bible were in prison at some point. Joseph, son of Jacob, Samson, the prophets, Micaiah, Jeremiah, and in Jesus' own time, John the Baptist. In Acts 1, apostle after another is thrown into prison. Peter, John, and most famously, Paul, who wrote several of his great epistles in prison. We gather from the Bible that there will be many ex-convicts in heaven. The nameless of people who came to visit them will also be there. In the parable, the double meaning of Son of Man is important. Jesus is the Son of Man, is judge here, and he judges the people by what they have done or not done. Not to him directly, but to the least of these human beings. Remember that the Son of Man can meanly, can mean simply man. Jesus is telling people that the way they treated their fellow sons of men, human beings, is the way they treated the Son of Man, Jesus himself. As in his baptism, Jesus is identifying himself with all mankind. The parable has generated a certain amount of controversy among Bible scholars and theologians centered on the phrase, the least of these, my brothers. Some say this applies to human beings in general. Others say that the brothers mean only fellow believers. 
This is a case of controversy that should be put to rest, for no one can do himself or the world any harm by applying brothers to all people. The parable concludes Jesus' last public address so appropriately. He chose to end his final sermon with something weighty and something supremely practical. This is not compensation as an abstract idea, but compassion at street level. The kingdom of God awaits those who live in love. Putting uh, the word to work. And Jesus said, When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. He wasn't telling people to be ballast about world events, but rather not to be shaken by them. In the days ahead, keep this verse in mind as you take in the news of the world, remembering that God is in charge of all things. Pray for the people of faith who are being persecuted around the world, giving thanks to God for those who stand firm to the end. And no one knows about the day or the hour is Jesus' definite statement on the time of his second coming. When you encounter people or books or articles that claim to know the timetable of the end times, keep this statement of Jesus in mind. In Revelation, Jesus says that those who overcome will eat from the tree of life in paradise. As you go through the day, reflect on that promise and let it help you overcome the stress and strains of the moment. Find some way to be a sheep today, doing good like the people in Jesus' parable, showing compassion to someone who is hungry, homeless, sick, or in prison. Uh, well, that brings us to the the end of um, the sharing of... Um, what I hope was uh, fulfilling the stories are the sharing of, of Jesus, knowing Jesus in 30 days. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, weary I am in thought and in deed. And I just pray, Lord, that you just help me and you help those that believe in you, Lord, to Pick up our cross and carry them with a boldness, Heavenly Father. Let us be the lights that we are meant to be. Let us be the voice of your word. Let us be your hands as we work. Lord, just our destiny is in you. Help us to step into our purpose, dear Heavenly Father, with gladness, with humbleness, with love. We just thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for all that you do and all that you continue to do. I just praise your name. In Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. 
Okay, I thank you uh, for joining me, and I pray and, uh, that you have a real great weekend, one that is truly blessed. And if you have an opportunity, reach out and you know, just just help somebody, you know, without thinking that oh, if I help somebody, but you just in the heart, you know, help somebody. If you feel moved, do so. And for those that do not know Jesus, I, I really urge you to find a fellow believer and ask, find out. You know, it's real easy. It's real easy to do. It's a lifetime commitment, and it's worth it. Well, I uh, I hope to, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do for you guys next or what I want to do or what I want to present, but um, I will come forth with something because I really enjoy sharing the word and I apologize for, for not being very, uh, what am I trying to say, professional about all this? You know, I just really love the Lord and I love sharing his message. So... If you're if you if you're taking this in and if you're getting something from it, praise God. Uh, you know, then my my my, I'm doing what I want to do. I'm just wanting to reach out and just touch people with that believe with faith. You know, just to get them to thinking. You know, it's very simple. You know, just tell somebody about Jesus today. Just tell them that they're greatly loved. We will continue, and uh, we just want to thank you. I want to thank you for all that you just continue to do each and every day. Um, you know, may you do it with an open heart and an open mind. And we just give you praise. Heavenly Father, just continue to bless us. And we just give you the praise in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so join me. Uh, I guess I'm going to try and be back here Wednesday. I don't know, folks. I, you know, I, I'll just have to wait and see where... What has led to, to uh, but I really do enjoy sharing the time and uh, sharing messages of love and Jesus' word with you. So I will, uh, I'll see you Wednesday with a surprise. In the meantime, be blessed. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.